Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Psalm 93. Last Wednesday, we studied Psalm 92, and um, it was a song that was written for and instructed to be sung on the Sabbath, on the Lord's Day. Um, we found that in the superscript in Psalm 92. There's none in Psalm 93. It just jumps into the first verse, but Jewish tradition holds that this one was written uh, for the day before the, the Lord's Day. So it was a song that um, was designed to prepare our hearts for worship together. Uh, most theologians believe David to be the human author. And as far as genre goes, Psalm 93 is what we would call an enthronement psalm. Uh, we've only seen one of those so far. Psalm 47 uh, was an enthronement psalm. But the upcoming Psalms 95 to 99 are also enthronement psalms. They're, those are songs that celebrate uh, the fact that our Lord reigns. That's what an enthronement psalm is. Um, they were used in worship by God's people to praise God for his sovereignty. And they're also uh, prophetic pictures uh, of when Jesus will return and when he will reign, as we sung about so far this evening, when he'll reign uncontested for all eternity. Uh, in way of personal testimony, um, can I just tell you that there's, there's nothing? <laughs> I mean, there is nothing that can give you the proper perspective to help you persevere in faith in Jesus Christ. When life gets totally crazy, there's nothing like reading about and realizing the sovereignty of our God that's revealed in the pages of Scripture. Um, whether or not you're going through something difficult right now, uh, beneficial to have a deep, confident faith and God's sovereignty over everything, and that will give you the proper perspective that you need to continue on with a faith in Jesus that glorifies him. That's good for you. Just five verses. Let's read them. The Lord reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he hath girded himself. The world also is established, that it cannot be moved. Thy throne established of old. Thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. And the Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this short little song, there's a lot of power in these five verses. A lot, of, a lot of power to propel our faith when um, difficult circumstances arise up in our life. And I pray your Holy Spirit would help us grab a hold of these truths and the encouragement that you give us in them. And I pray that we leave here this evening truly recharged. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the uh, first two verses really point us to the character of Christ. Verse 1 draws our attention to the Lord uh, capital L, 
capital O, capital R, capital D, so Yahweh, um, Jehovah, our attention's drawn to the Lord who reigneth. And we're, we're called here to cast our gaze in the beginning of this song uh, on Christ. The Lord reigneth. Uh, Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner, he said that in the Hebrew, uh, there is a decisiveness in these words, the Lord reigneth, which really calls for an exclamation point, or you can even probably add a few at the end of those three words. We, we ought to read it, the Lord reigns <laughs> with exclamation points, because that's what is intended. Um, and there's such hope in these first three words. When God holds them out to us, all of the truth that we ever need to never remain in fear, but to rise to faith is in those words. The Lord reigns. Charles Spurgeon said that God gave us these words at the beginning of Psalm 93 so that we can whisper them in the ears of those who are despondent and so we can um, loudly proclaim them in the face of our foes. So when we will adore the Lord with these words, the Lord reigns, um, when we announce them to those who might be hurting, and when we apply them to our own lives, the result will be you and I, we could join Job in uh, saying, but he stands alone, and who can oppose him? He does whatever he pleases, Job 23, 13. Or we could join David in singing in Psalm 115, 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. We could even join Nebuchadnezzar. Because in Daniel 4, 35, after experiencing the reality of the sovereignty of God and turning to God in faith, Nebuchadnezzar said, all of the peoples of earth are regarded as nothing because God does as he pleases. And with the powers in heaven, with the peoples of the earth, no one can hold back his hand. Or say to him, what have you done? And then verse 1 gives us this glimpse of our sovereign Savior. He's clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength wherewith he hath girded himself. That's such a powerful picture of, of Jesus Christ. And you might think, well, Jesus or Christ hasn't even been mentioned yet. It's just, just Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah. Well, when Psalm 93 was written, Jesus had not yet come to earth as Messiah. But for the past few months, we've been studying uh, on Sunday evenings, we've been learning of uh, those I am statements that Jesus made, and they were so much more than just I am the bread of life, or I am the uh, water of life, or, or uh, I am the good shepherd, or I am the door of the sheep. When he said, I am all those things, he was saying, I am. I'm equal to God the Father. I'm one with him. Clothed with majesty, it says, showing us the character of Christ. Majesty is kind of a hard word to define. The best we can do is probably give some cinnamons, right? Some synonyms. Um, but it has to do with dignity and authority, having sovereign power and stateliness, grandeur. We would probably like most of our earthly leaders to have this characteristic of majesty and, and often they go to great lengths to enhance the impression of their majesty for us. You know, for over a week now, there's, there's been a lot of new content on the TV channels that I tend to watch. On uh, Some of them, it's been wall-to-wall -wall coverage of everything going on across the pond in London. You know what I'm talking about? There's a lot of majesty there, isn't there? Uh, like, 
Um, there's been multiple funeral processions and multiple pronouncements of the king, not just once, in, you know, in Scotland and then in London and then in little cities throughout the land. And um, it's interesting, I think, to watch. We don't have that here so much in our political system. I, I suppose the closest thing we have is maybe the old guard uh, in the army, that unit where if you want to be part of it, you got to be between 5'11 and 6'1 and weigh the certain amount because you're aware of these and you need to look the same, a lot of pomp and circumstance, or, or maybe the, the ceremonies that go on at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. But, but I think all of those are good illustrations of what it means here when it says he's clothed with, with majesty. We have a Lord who's clothed with majesty. In the Old Testament culture, your clothing was seen as an extension of your character. I don't know that it's much different today for the better or for the worse. <laughs> I mean, it does reveal something about who you are. And God lets us know what our sovereign king Jesus, who reigneth over all, what he's like. He's dignified. He's clothed with majesty. He has authority. He's clothed with strength, it says. I mean, he's got not just the power to rule, but he, he's actually got the power to carry it out. And verse 1 says that Jesus girded, meaning like put a belt around, uh, completely encircled himself with um, that strength. And he wants us to know him by that strength. I think that's very important. We, we, we desperately need to know that. When life's difficult circumstances come our way, we need a God who, who is strong, a Savior who is strong. And we need to see Jesus this way. I'm afraid too often our, our concept of Jesus is uh, probably too often influenced by medieval artistic depictions of him where he's some reason he's often pale and and kind of pasty and um, placid when jesus came to earth the first time he came as god's sacrificial lamb to bear our sin guilt and to redeem us but after his resurrection after his ascension witness enthronement from there on he's pictured as a sovereign king when he's going to return for us, he's, he's pictured as a lion of the tribe of Judah to complete God's salvation plan. He's returning to rule uncontested in a world where sin and death will be destroyed forever. That's a strong sovereign king. And verse 1 ends with this statement, our sovereign Savior, he rules over the world. It's established so that it cannot be moved. Now God's speaking here, and he's speaking to us here from his perspective and we need to, if we're going to persevere, we need to make his perspective ours. That's as the world is established so that it cannot be moved. And from time to time, from our perspective, we may perceive that the world is being moved. I mean, sometimes it feels like the world has been turned upside down, doesn't it? And God reminds us in verse 1, no, he reigns. He's in control. He created it all. He's in control over it all. It's established uh, under his command. He created the world with words. He governs it, sustains it with words. It's his word. It cannot be moved by any created thing or any circumstance outside of his control. Now let's look at verse 2 because there's more characteristics about our sovereign Savior that are revealed. His throne is established of old. He is from everlasting. And verse 2 talks about the eternality of his throne, and then it talks about the eternality of 
his being. And the reason that Christ's throne is eternal is because he is. Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem. Um, he's the creator of Genesis 1. He's the ancient of days of Daniel 7. He's the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end of Revelation chapter 1. He, he's our eternal sovereign savior who always has been, who always will be on his throne. God always has. Jesus always will rule over all. And isn't that a comfort for you? And he'll rule over all. Um, at times we're forced to vote for the best of the worst, aren't we? <laughs> Uh, and uh, we might worry, even after we do, that within four years, the worst of the worst might take control of Congress or the presidency or something like that. And that's just one reason that so many of us think term limits are, are, are a good idea. You don't need them with him. <laughs> He's been on the throne forever. He's been good and gracious, perfect and just forever. And that's how he will always be, because our Lord reigns in majesty. He reigns in strength. He, he reigns with stability. Later, we're going to learn in the last verse, in, in holiness. So in goodness and justice. And if we're going to have the proper perspective to persevere when life gets difficult for, for continuing in the faith in Christ that we came to him with, we have to look to and we have to serenely live under the character of Christ. Now, in verses 3 to 4, it talks about the distraction of, of the dangerous. If verses 1 and 2 would just receive our constant uh, attention, we would never allow the dangerous to distract us, to grab our gaze away or our faith to fail. But sometimes we're distracted by the dangerous, aren't we? Sometimes um, we're distracted from God's sovereign reign overall in Jesus Christ by dangerous things. Maybe some difficult or painful circumstance comes our way, an unwanted illness or a diagnosis we were not wanting to hear. Maybe it's a family relationship problem. Maybe the dangerous doesn't even look dangerous. Maybe it looks rather appealing, but still very dangerous. Maybe it comes in the form of temptation to sin. It looks appealing. <laughs> looks like something you really want. And maybe even in your mind, you're like, no, I need that. But you know it's against God's word. And it's against God's command. And God says, no don't. And then in either of those situations, we forget, whether that's willingly or unintentionally, we forget verses 1 and 2. We forget that the Lord reigns, and we become more like Peter, who was out on the stormy sea of Galilee and took his eyes off his sovereign Savior. And when we do that, we're distracted by the dangerous, just like he was. That's what verse 3 describes. It says, the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. And there are times in our lives when floods are rising. And we're supposed to picture here in this poetry uh, a raging river or an ominous ocean. Uh, so often in the Old Testament, especially in poetry like we find in the Psalms, whenever there's references to dangerous waters or floods or seas, uh, it's symbolic of the wicked. That's really what he's talking about here. He's not talking about a hurricane or flood, literal floodwaters. He's talking about those who have rejected God and who rebel against him and his word and his will. That, that's who is lifting up. That's who is raising their voice and lifting up their waves. And when we meditate on verse 3 this way, uh, it makes sense to us. Because do you ever feel like the wicked who, who hate the Lord 
and who hate those who are his, do you ever feel like they are rising up? I do. Do you hear their loud voices? Sometimes it's about the only voice you feel like you can hear. And do we ever feel the force of their waves? I mean, bad enough to hear their intentions or, or to hear their voices, but sometimes we experience their actions. It becomes unsettling for us. And we're sometimes distracted by the dangerous to the point where, where those things receive our concern, they, they receive our gaze, and it's turned away from the character of Christ. Don't let verses 1 and 2 fade away in your worldview, in your perspective, just because verse 3 is getting all of your attention. You know, with 24-7 breaking news on and social media feeds that are filled with clickbait about the latest upheavals in our world, um, this can happen too easily in the life of a follower of Jesus. Don't let it. Don't dishonor our sovereign ruler that way. Don't let fear pull you down from faith. God says in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord. That's my name. And I will not yield my glory to another. Well, if, if he won't, we, we shouldn't. By giving all our focus and attention and worries. But sometimes we do. And that's why God gives us the truth in the rest of this psalm, so that we will rest in the reign of our sovereign Savior, Jesus Christ. Because floods do uh, rise up around us, because floods do lift up their noisy voice, and because they can even impact us. God says in verse 4, I'm bigger. <laughs> that's what he says there. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. He's bigger. And if we'll let it be, Psalm 93 is just as louder, louder than any of their voices. Um, when we look at the danger just from our own and on our, on our own, uh, you know, that danger might be greater than our own resistance. But is it greater when we have God's assistance? No. He's mightier. He's bigger. Your sovereign Savior only needs to say, peace. Be still. And whether or not the storm is stilled, you can be. Is he saying, peace be still to you tonight in Psalm 93? Is he worth our faith? He's never failed before. I don't think he has intention for you being the first loss in his win-loss column. So what will you choose to look at? What's going to grab your gaze? Who are you going to listen to? What we need and what all of Psalm 93 has done for us, and especially in the last verse, it contextualizes our circumstances. We need to look at them with the proper perspective, God's perspective. And that's really the takeaway from every single moving from fear to faith psalm that we've studied. Um, before us, at moments like Verse 3 describes when the floods are rising up and their noise is there and we're impacted by their waves. We have this choice. I can, I can choose to view my truly big God in light of my big circumstances or I can choose to view my big circumstances in light of my truly big God. And either way, faith is involved. And either way, we're going to give glory to him or to them, by giving attention and concern to one of those. Will your faith be in he who is faithful? Will he receive glory? Or are you going to place your faith in someone 
or something else? Will someone or something other than your majestic, almighty, sovereign Savior be glorified? How do we know what to do? How do we know what to choose? Verse 5, God's testimonies are very sure. So to keep your gaze on, to keep glory given to Jesus Christ, the, the living word of God, we have to keep our gaze on the written word of God. David understands this, and that's what he's telling us in this first phrase of verse 5. Um, he, he's saying the sovereignty, the strength, the stability of God, it's expressed to us, it's assured to us in one place, in the word of God. What we have here, is this dependable? Yeah, it's dependable. Is it inerrant? True, I mean, without error, yeah. It's very sure, that's what it says there in verse 5. Just like the world that was established by him, so is his word. It's immovable, it's dependable, it's trustworthy. In it, we have the record of who he is and what he's done and what he's promised to do. Here's a question that a lot of churches are having problems with right now. Is it sufficient? It is. I think most of them would agree there. Is it sufficient? Will it address every need I have? Yeah, every need. Is it sufficient? This is what we need to ask ourselves. Is it sufficient for the storm I'm going through? Or is mine the one exception that's not addressed here? So far, Psalm 93 has called us to recognize and, and to rejoice in the stability of his sovereignty. There's no one who can get in his way. He's in charge. He's in control. The stability of his strength, he is bigger. There's nothing more mighty than him. He can handle it. And now the stability of scripture, of his word. Because it's there that we even know about the stability of his sovereignty and the stability of his strength. One final phrase in verse 5. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. So we're introduced to one other character quality of our king. He's holy, and he desires that we would be holy too. There's a lot of different aspects to holiness. One's definitely that he's totally unique. He's the creator, everything else, creation. Um, there's no one like him. And in his holiness, it's connected to everything he is and everything that he does. Um, He's perfect. He's without sin. And it says here that, that when it says it becometh his house, it literally means that it adorns his house. Now, let me ask you a question. What, really who, who is his house? Back here, he's talking about the temple, but who is his house now? Yeah, it's us. It, it's, the, it's the Christian. And it's more specifically, almost... Every time that's emphasized, it's, it's the corporate body. It's the Christians together who are his house. And Baptist pastor, Professor James Montgomery Boyce asks, if we're not holy, well, how can we adorn, adorn the house of God? We can't. In fact, we end up doing just the opposite. We dishonor the house of God. And we dishonor the God we profess to serve. Holiness is, is what God calls us to in Ezekiel 43. I, I read that a couple weeks back when I was going on a Bible reading plan to go through the Bible. And um, there's a couple of chapters where, where Ezekiel is caught up and he has this vision of the temple that will be um, built, I mean, down to dimensions. It's, I mean, really specific. 
But at the end there, there's like this summary phrase uh, that just really jumped out at me. Ezekiel 43, 12, God says, and this is the basic law of the temple, absolute holiness. <laughs> How desperately we need to apply that to his temple today. It, everything around it, is to be holy. And the old pastor and evangelist from North Carolina, Vance Havner, he, he said once, if you want to be popular, preach happiness. If you want to be unpopular, preach holiness. Well, I don't really care if I'm either one. But honestly, I, I feel like that's such a false dichotomy from the devil anyway. God never makes that separation in his word. So let me preach happiness. It comes through holiness. <laughs> that's what God teaches us uh, in his word. It's, it's the devil that says happiness is found here or, or there or anywhere else other than living according to God's word, living according to his will for your life. If you want happiness, that's where it's found. And we who are his house now, we who are his dwelling place, what we're indwelt, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're reminded in 2 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Speaking corporately there, um, that's a new King James version. They'll just say you. But it means y'all. Like, do y'all not know that y'all are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in y'all? He's talking to the entire church. And yes, we, individually, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit who resides in us, but in a definitely more powerful and more impactful way, especially in the Great Commission uh, when we assemble together and we're marked by holiness. When, when it adorns us like clothing. When we're given this glimpse of Jesus here, we're, he's clothed in majesty. We're to be clothed in holiness. His holiness should be the first thing that people see. It should be an extension of who we are and our character. That's what he's designed for his church. It's actually what he's delivered for, it, for us. Um, it comes from our sovereign Savior. We've been raised to walk in newness of life. You don't, if, you say, if you're saved, you don't have to sin. You can say no. The Holy Spirit of God using the Word of God it can give you victory over that. What, what or who has been your gaze lately? What or who has your focus been on? Is it your sovereign, omnipotent Savior? Or is it various storms in your life? Are you distracted by the dangerous? Or will you see things from God's perspective like they've been described here in Psalm 93? Who are you listening to? Or who are you letting be loud? Will you allow the Holy Spirit tonight to take Psalm 93 and put your circumstances in their proper context? If the storm is here, if, if the waves are near, well, like, like that old song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Will you in faith bow before, give glory to your sovereign Savior? Will you live with a proper perspective on it all that helps you preserve, persevere in faith? Will you commit to adorn his house in holiness tonight? In faith saying, God, I'm going to turn from the counterfeit promises of pleasure that Satan offers in temptation. And you know what? I'm, no, I'm going to believe you are good. You know what's good for me. You want what's good for me. You've told me what's good for me. I'm going to do it. Because you've delivered it to those who live in holiness according to his commands. Have Tommy and the praise team come up. The best way we can recognize him as our king 
is to live in holiness, to live with a, a heavenward gaze where we do keep our eyes on the character of our king. Storms won't be so loud, won't be so frightening when we do that. Let's all stand.